You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, gift stealing, woo, wheel of dealing, limousine like, jet flying, son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding down this stuff. everybody it's your boy cousin oz the people's mailman back for another episode with cousin tony the architect all right all right all right hold on hold on wait a minute let's break this down my man rick just said you talking to the rolex wearing mm. diamond ring wearing okay kiss stealing Mwah. wheeling dealing limousine riding oh boy jet flying Son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. Ooh, how sick was that? Now, there were many wrestlers before him and many wrestlers after him, but no one, and I mean no one, could compare stylistically to Ric Flair. This man's swag was on a million and still is to this day. As Rick simply put it, and I quote, All the women want to be with me. All the men want to be like me. Regarded by many as the greatest professional wrestler of all time, Ric Flair has had a career that has spanned almost 50 years. Unfortunately, Ric couldn't make it tonight, so we decided to interview the Ric Flair of the hobby. Our next guest has become one of the most respected and knowledgeable figures in the hobby as well as consultant to the biggest sports collectors worldwide. Yeah, I said that right. Worldwide. Now, Flair once said, to be the man, you gotta beat the man. And not many can beat the hobby knowledge and experience of Mr. Michael Hefner, president of Leland's, the original sports auction house of the hobby. All I can say is get ready to be wild and get ready to smell what Mike is cooking. Hey, yo, Tone, take it away, cuz. All right, all right, Cousin Tone. We are in the presence of hobby royalty today, brother. We are here with Mr. Mike Hefner, the president of Leland's, the premier auction house of the hobby. Now, before we get started, I want to give a special shout out to my brother Danny Boy and to a great friend of yours, Mike, Scott Harpel, for setting up this interview. The two of them worked together and they thought it would be a great idea to have you on the show and you were gracious enough to take time out of your busy schedule to join us. So kudos to you guys for making this happen. Without you, we wouldn't be here. Now, Mike, this is incredible, seriously. It's truly an honor and a pleasure to be talking to you today. When it comes to the hobby, you've seen it all, you've done it all, you've touched it all. We're going to try to get as many stories and all the behind the scenes that we can tonight. So let's get into it. First thing we want to talk about is how you got started in all of this. So let's talk about your childhood. Let's talk education, family. You know, let's start from the beginning. How did Mike get started? Okay, well, first I have to respond to the whole royalty thing. I don't feel like royalty. <laughs> so you're giving me a little bit too much credit there. Um, I, I feel I, I'm, I'm truly blessed. And I love the uh, your intro. I saw, you know, keep it positive uh, on your intro there. And that's really cool because there's too much, a lot of this time there's too much stigma in this hobby. You know, people, you know, worry too much about the money. They worry too much about, uh, you know, the competition or the, who's collecting. And 
you know, my first rule of thumb when it comes to collecting is have fun, buy what you like. So I'll mention that many times tonight. So, uh, but, you know, that's just so important. And I'm so glad you guys put that up there because that is truly important. Just uh, try to be positive. Even some of the stuff, you know, some of the stories, maybe I tell her a little bit negative, but uh, <laughs> all, all in fun, all in fun. But uh, I started collecting when I was about uh, maybe six years old. I started opening oh. wax packs and that was back in uh, 1975, 1976. And, um, you know, my dad had... Um, played baseball, pretty good baseball player, not, um, not minor league status, but he always instilled, you know, he, he brought me up as a baseball person. We rooted for the Dodgers. I can remember, you know, going to Phillies Dodgers games back in the, in the seventies. So that was my era as a childhood, the seventies. And uh, then I began to, uh, you know, 77, 78. And this sounds like, I'm sure to you guys, you guys are young. This sounds like you <laughs> light years ago, but oh, hey, it's, hey. I, I was born. I was, I was, I was three. Okay, right all, right. <laughs> so, all right. At least you were on the planet. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it, it, um, it, it sounds so long ago, but I can remember opening those, those wax packs just like it was yesterday. So I started later seventies. Um, the first price guide to ever come out was 1979 when I was about 10 years old, Beck had put out a price guide. And then there were some guys who started to put out uh, monthly uh, price guides, also the paper bound price guides. And, uh, I, I went and I bought one of these books. I realized there's value to these things. There's value to these cards. They're not just pieces of cardboard. I always liked the Dodgers. You know, I was collecting Steve Garvey cards and things like that. But then uh, I realized there was value. And um, at 10, 11 years old, I, I started trading and dealing with some other people, um, much older people. But, uh, you know, they, they had cards from the 40s, 50s, 60s. And I realized that, hey, these are really cool. And they're much more limited than what I'm collecting now, you know, the 1978, 79, 80 stuff. So I started to gain, uh, I started to learn about these players and started to collect these cards. And uh, to say it didn't have anything to do with value, I'd be lying because it did have something to do with value, the price yeah. guide. But the price guide also educated me on high numbers and, you know, rare cards, single printings, things like that, stuff that a lot of other kids didn't know about. So it progressed from there. That Then then the early 80s, I really kicked in. In fact, in 1980, is a, 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 and tell me at any time if I'm getting too long, you guys want to. No, no, no. Here. Please feel we want, we, Mike, Mike, we want to hear it all, brother. Give, like, give, this, give this us the whole, yeah, the whole kit is, and caboodle. <laughs> this is passion for me. So uh, 1980, I remember in Cutstown, I bought up. Uh, I was, I, in 1980, I had this, uh, not that I'm a genius, but I had this foresight as like a 10-year-old 10, 10 kid that unopened stuff was going to be good someday. So I bought a box of 1980 tops in the grocery store for six bucks. They had to order it in. You know, they didn't have they were like, yeah, what do you want a box for? You know, that's pretty greedy of you. But uh, they ordered it in a box and it was six dollars for a box of 1980 tops baseball. And uh, I kept that thing under my bed until sometime in college when it went up to about 500 bucks and I, I wow. sold but I never opened it. I kept it on my bed wow. for, for whatever. You know, you know. That, that, that takes a lot of discipline, Mike. Most of it us would have, you know what I mean? Having that under your bed for that long, people get itchy. Especially it in the and hobby. now, you know, I replaced that because that was part of my childhood. So I, I sold it, you know, during college, raised some money. But, um, you know, it went from six bucks to 500, which at that time wow. was like astonishing to me. That was like, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I just put one of those boxes back so I could say I still had one and it was like uh 2000, 2500 bucks, 3000 bucks, something like that, you know, wrapped by BBCE. So, um, you know, I, I did start then in 82, 82 is when they really started to produce a lot of, 
at least as far as I'm concerned, they started to kind of overblow the market. You know, Donruss, Tops, Fleer, all three companies were then producing cards, and I was collecting a little bit of each one of those. And uh, then I, I basically um, determined in the mid-'80s that I wanted to go to college, so I realized that this is this is a pretty cool and pretty easy, not easy way to make money, but a pretty cool way to make money is buying and selling cards, going around and buying and selling them. So I did that until uh, 87 when I went, uh, when I graduated from high school and then I went to college. But in the meantime, in 87, I met um, who had become, you know, my closest friend, uh, my mentor, my business partner, Josh Evans. Uh, he was located in Allentown at the time. And he, you know, right away, he was, he was a different kind of person. He was a really kind person and a very trusting person. He put a lot of trust in me, uh, bringing me into the fold. And he had, lucky for me, he had an incredible amount of knowledge. You know, he was, he was about uh, eight years older than me, but uh, eight or nine years older than me. And, but he had, uh, he had already traveled the world in search of this mm -hmm. stuff. And uh, he, was, he was set up shop in Allentown for some reason. And uh, I was fortunate enough to meet him. I sold him my first big deal. And um, that was a, a, a find of, uh, believe it or not, this is great. It was, it was a find of Tito Sixes. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Renningers out in Cutstown. Yes. They have an extravaganza, they call it, like twice a year. And dealers come from, from all over the nation. They're antique dealers. But I found a guy with a, a cigar box full of Tito Six cards, you know, from the, the wow. Hummus Wagon 1909. And... Um, I didn't even look at him. I asked, what's the price? He goes, ah, a buck a piece. There's uh, probably 200 in there. And like 200 bucks was all I had to my name at the time. Like that was a bunch of money. But I, I bought the box and I took it home. And I was like, they're all in rubber bands and stuff. There's Ty Cobbs in there, Cy Young's. Uh, no, Honus Wagner. But no, Honus. I was, I was, was about man. to ask. Who yeah, was Honus in there? <laughs> so you could buy as late as 1987, 88. You could still buy those Tito 6 tobacco cards for a buck a piece. Um, wow. They weren't in mint condition, but they were VG. Uh, and that's the kind of stuff that people say, what, are you crazy? What planet were you on? And But it was right here. You know, you just don't find that anymore, though. It just, you know, there's too there's too much, almost too much knowledge with the internet. You know, people yeah. just find out what it's worth. So, uh, but it, uh, I took that deal over to Josh. And at the time, you know, I wasn't collecting Tito six cards. And uh, I think I sold it for 1,800 or 2,000 bucks, which wow. was... Uh, that that was like uh, was, uh, from then on, I was like, hey, I can really do this. And at the time, that was like a whole semester of tuition at Kutztown University. Yeah, so you were like, you were a, was it a criminal justice? Yeah, criminal justice. Yeah, I went to school with Scott. Scott and I uh, were friends since. Uh, unfortunately, I don't get to talk to him a whole lot anymore. But um, you know, I still consider him a, a real good friend. And um, we went from elementary school up through college, graduated college together. So pretty cool. But that's what my degrees in. Criminal justice never worked a day in the field of my life. <laughs> I can't say. I mean, there's one good thing. I mean, there's there's one good thing about it. I did follow my passion, follow what I love. But I keep thinking, man, Scott's retired. Like, he's, he's <laughs> doing what he wants right now. But I'm also doing what I want. because Yeah, uh, you're getting paid to do what you want. You know, yeah. it's. I was telling uh, Tony that I was like, yeah, he had the, you know, criminal justice. I said, but dude, we always talk about it would be perfect to get into a career where you have that passion and get paid as well. And you kind of just you're living the dream, like literally the hobby dream. And it's it's awesome. And that's why we're here. And we're, we're going to keep getting into, you know, these stories. So, Tony, did you want to take over then? Yeah, Mike. So, you know, touching on that with you and Josh. 
you know, how did you guys, I know that you, you know, you did a deal with him, but how were you able to gain his trust at such an early age? You were only 17. That's a good question, Tony. I mean, Josh, like I said, he was a kind, uh, he was a very complex individual. He passed away uh, almost a year and a half ago now, but, um, and I miss him every single day, but um, he was a complex individual. Um, he was like uh, one of those guys who was, everything was always scattered about. He was always losing his wallet, but he could tell you like the value of, uh, you know, the, the pages, the pages, number of pages that a 1905 World Series program should have in it, you know, just at the blink of an eye. So he had an incredible knowledge of, of the stuff. And he was like us. He cared about the stuff. He, he, he lived the stuff. He literally, literally lived this hobby. So, um, you know, one day he, and this was about maybe my uh, freshman year in college. Uh, so about around 88. So what he started to do, I would go around to yard sales and flea markets and find stuff. And I would sell it to him and he'd give me the cash and I'd be real happy and he'd be happy because he'd then go and sell it. So he used to run ads in Sports Collectors Digest. Uh, every week. So he said to me, he said, Mike, would you mind like taking this stuff, writing it up? He'd give me 30 items uh, and put the ad in Sports Collectors Digest, but put it under your name. That way you, I'll give you a commission of whatever you sell. So I started to do that. And then uh, one day he said, this was after a couple of months of running ads and the like, he said to me, he said, hey, I can't go out to the Pittsburgh show. Um, no, I think it was, no, it was, I'm sorry, it was the Boston show. He used to be a show up there in Peabody. Small show, but really good show. Great stuff would come out. Boston area is one of the best areas for finding good memorabilia and cards uh, because of the history up there. So um, he said, because uh, a lot of our business is in, in cash. It's a, you know, that's that's just a fact. A lot of people want cash. A lot of the business is based in cash, a lot of cash transactions. So he said, uh, can you, and I was never even on an airplane in my life. He said, can you, can you fly up there and do this show for me? I can't go. So he gave me, uh, I don't know what it was, um, $15,000, $20,000 in cash, wow. which was more cash than I ever saw in my entire life. And he said, okay, go out there and buy some stuff. Set up at the show. You know, here's our table number. Set up at the show and buy some stuff. So um, I went up there and, um, you know, I was I was pretty much, got to be honest with you, I was lost and scared, uh, scared <laughs> for my life. <laughs> I can imagine. And it ended up, yeah, that, that, that show, I think it was that show, or maybe it was one after that. I went up to Boston and, uh, you know, people asked me, how do you learn this stuff? And the only way to really learn it is to, to really learn it and then to uh, keep it in your head, to really digest it and have it go, and go through your system is to to buy, sell, and deal in it or, or collect it because I bought something. Uh, I bought a, a bad piece at, at one of those shows. You know, I spent like $8,000 on, it was a Babe Ruth club that I, I spent $8,000 on. And I really thought because this guy had a good shtick, he had a good story, but it turns out the guy was telling stories all the time, but naive 18, 19 year old that I was, I, I didn't know any better. And I believe people back then, you could say I became a little more cynical now, but that just taught me a lesson. That's like, you know, listen, the proof's in the pudding, look at the piece, not the person. So you, you have to always so, look at the piece. Yeah. So this um, guy, he has a Babe Ruth glove, yeah. sells it to you for $8,000. Now, what, what, what did you at any point feel like, uh, this doesn't seem right, or he was just that good that he came uh, He was across. just that good, and I was that naive. You know, I already had a pretty good working knowledge of the stuff just from studying auction results. Even though they were mostly 
auctions in Sports Collectors Digest and just learning from Josh. But this is only maybe a year into knowing Josh or if six months, maybe. So I, I still, you know, I even remember the guy's name, the guy's name. And I'll say it. His name was because uh, he's probably no longer around. But his name was Andy Michael. That's how much it stuck in my head that I remembered this guy. And I felt so bad when I brought it back to the office. I was like, Josh, look what I got. This you didn't get this from Andy Michael, did you? He said, oh, oh, yeah. No. Yeah. He goes, oh, that guy, that guy's like a scammer. Like, uh, wow. Well, you didn't tell me about this. Like, I guess I should have known this, but I should have asked. Never, uh, uh, never trust I, a guy with two first names, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> now, wait, well, then we can trust Sean Michael, who's a. Yeah, brother. yeah. There you go. Right. That's different, um, though. Now, um, did, 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 uh, did he come down on you hard? Josh, um, you know, he didn't come down on me hard, but he came down on me. Uh, obviously, it was his money. But yeah. uh, I did end up getting the money back. I made it like a mission. Like I was going to go. Not that I'm some sort of tough guy. But <laughs> I did, like I got on the phone with this guy. You know, I knew his address, knew his phone number. And even as a 19 year old, Tim, a 19 year old, I did somehow. I don't remember exactly how I did it, but I did get the money back. Wow. So uh, at the end of the day, it was just a good learning lesson. No money lost. But. But I've lost plenty of money over the years buying stuff that turned out to be, uh, you know, not what it, it was. But those are the best lessons I've ever learned is, is when you get burned. Um, true. You know, true. It, it's it, it, it's it's it really resonates. Hmm. Now, spinning off of that. So how did you go from that 17 year old kid, you know, 19 getting scammed and stuff like that? I'll talk about that evolution from where you started to where you're at. Um, well, I went to college and all through college, I, um, I helped Josh out. I did work at various other jobs too, but collecting and the memorabilia and the cards were my passion. So, um, you know, I went through college, put myself through school, graduated, was all set to do, you know, the criminal justice thing. And Josh was in Allentown or he had just moved to New York city, moved the office to New York city, uh, about six months or a year before I graduated. I was still going up there to visit him, uh, to get stuff, give him stuff, you know, do things. But, um, you know, it was in midtown Manhattan and he offered me a job right off, right out the gate. Um, uh, you know, offered me $40,000 a year in, uh, 1991, uh, which was like a lot more money than I could make in the criminal justice field. Yeah. I said, sure, I'll take it. And, um, for the next eight years, I commuted from Allentown to midtown Manhattan every single day. Um, of the week. And it, it was, it was a grueling thing, but I loved it so much. And I didn't want to leave my family here in Allentown, um, in the Allentown area. So I took the, took the bus, the Bieber bus. I don't know. You remember they're not in, in yep. I yes. don't think they're around anymore, <laughs> but the old Bieber bus, it would start in Reading and would end in, in New York city. So every day, you mm -hmm. know, I got up at, at five 30 and got home at eight 30. And, um, but it was worth every, every, every single day. It was worth going to work every day because I actually started out. Um, I started out like uh, you know part-time acquisitions, you know, calling people on the phone, going to shows, things like that. But I also started out doing shipping too, because at that time Leedlands was only you know two or three, or three or four employees. So I pitched in every every everywhere needed. But uh, you know, I got the education of a lifetime. That's you know the best education I ever got was just starting out and and working with Josh and other professionals in the field. And, and really learn the business. You know, I remember one of our early card experts, his name was Ron Ozer. Ron's still around. I think Ron, um, not to offend him, but I think Ron's in his 80s and he's still doing this and he's still, you know, 
he's a he's a really low key guy. But I think he works at Huggins Huggins and Scott. And uh, if you ever heard of that that auction yeah. house, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but um, you know he he's still around. So I learned a, I, I I just tried to learn from all the people I was around over the years, and I was around a lot of them. And um, you know it's just I, I not so much that I read books and, and figured it out that way, but just seeing feeling the stuff. Like having the stuff in front of you is such a major advantage because you can look at all, all the catalogs, all the magazines you want. But, you know, that's why I like shows like I, I, I want to see shows continue to succeed. Card shows because it introduces kids, you know, kids, kids today are so much Internet driven and card shows. You can actually go and touch and feel and see, you know, look firsthand at the stuff. Uh, and I think really it, it's hard to convey some of the history. And even with the modern cards, it's hard to to tell on the internet, just looking at a picture of it until you hold it in your hand to know if you really love it or not. Dude. I mean, and Oz is going to go into it now. Like I, I, I just can't wait to hear like the, the nuts and bolts of it all. Cause <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Oz, I'll, I'll kick it to you. Cause now let me just get my popcorn ready. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike, like seriously, you, like we talked about earlier that you are hobby royalty. Um, and you are considered one of the most respected and knowledgeable figures in the hobby. You know, you consult with the biggest sports collectors in the world. You know, when somebody says that about you, you know, how does that make you feel? I know you're a humble guy, but I mean, it's, it's the truth. It's reality. You, you've earned that title. Like, how, how does that make you feel? Well, it, I mean, it makes you want to blush because I'm just I'm <laughs> not that like, you know, I, I've always I've, I'm always the, the person who's hardest on myself uh, because I feel like, you know, but um, it, it, I mean, it makes me feel really good. Um, I feel like, you know, not only did I, did I have fun along the way, but I helped other people. And, um, you know, one of my, one of my best friends in the world, um, his name is Steve Walder. I met him. He's from Cincinnati and I met him through the, through the hobby and highly intelligent guy. He had a really big insurance company, uh, sold it. And then, um, you know, started a store out there called sports investments. It's still run by his sons and Steve's still around. His health is just, is just, um, ailing, but, um, um, you know, he, he, I helped him. Uh, that's probably the greatest satisfaction I got through, through this hobby. I, I helped a lot of guys put together their collections and it's not even for the, the, the financial part is fine, but I would do it for 90% of them again. Um, just for the pure satisfaction of handling the material. I mean, you know, who can say they, they handle, you know, other than maybe somebody at the hall of fame, you know, 20 Babe Ruth bats in their lifetime, you know, actually held them and swung them. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I I have done that. And, uh, you know, that, that, um, back, back to Steve, you know, Steve is this guy who I always like, admired. And, uh, Steve told me, you know, that I was his mentor. And I was like, what do you mean by that? Your mentor, you're like 30 years older than me. And like, uh, I'm a time smarter. How can I be your mentor? He said, well, you just understand the business and the stuff better than I do. And you sort of showed me how to, um, to collect. I was like, Oh, wow. Uh, and then that, that was one of the best compliments I've ever received in my entire life. It made me feel like, you know, like, Hey, I, I helped this man like tremendously. And he's my good friend too. And, yeah. um, you know, Steve sold his collection. We actually purchased it and I ended up keeping a bunch of it, um, oh, wow. about, uh, seven or eight years ago, I think it is now, but, um, you know, it, that's kind of satisfaction and kind of, kind of thing that happens. Like, um, I'm sure I should look back and be, I, I, I do look back and I'm very grateful for the people I have met. You know, I've handled, you know, numerous Honus Wagner cards. Um, 
numerous Babe Ruth uniforms, uh, a couple dozen Babe Ruth bats, uh, five, six Ty Cobb game use bats, uh, things like that. And um, it's, um, you know, now, now that I'm talking about it, you guys asked me that and it bring, bring it out. It really is, um, you know, I truly am blessed. Like I feel blessed um, being able to, to do that. Not to say that, but um, I don't, I typically don't talk about those things, but now thinking back of the, of the, 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 the amount of history that I've held in my hands, it, uh, it makes, uh, it makes pretty much of an impression on myself. And that, and that's the thing, Mike, it's like, <laughs> you, like when I said you've seen it all and you've done it all, like literally you have seen it all and done it all there, you know, we've been talking about, we have our, our special, like every once a month, it's called Corky's corner where we have our, our buddy Corky and, and we discuss um, some type of vintage, you know, we started with the T206s and we just talked about the Gaudis and we're talking about these cars. And to us, it's like, you know, it's in the air with this. You, you're here touching them. You're, you're messing around with bats. You're, you're doing all this craziness, like things that we couldn't even imagine doing. So, I mean, that, that's gotta be whew, that to me, that's awesome now. All right. So you're considered the president of Leland's. So how did you get that title? You know, how long did it take you to get that title and what are your day-to-day -day operations? You know, of course, being the head of Leland's, the premier auction house of the hobby. I was afraid you were going to ask that. Now, does that include the nap at three o'clock or not? Sure. <laughs> well, hey, is the boss listening? If they, you know. <laughs> well, um, you know, jo Josh, um, you know, Josh, the founder of Leland's, um, you know, he, he, he saw the way that I reacted to this stuff. I think he knew, you know, a few days after meeting me that my heart was in it. I had a passion for it. And, um, I slowly worked up to becoming um, uh, a 25% owner in the company and then, um, you know, pur purchasing shares. And then Josh actually gave me some shares of the company and then worked myself up to being a 50-50 partner with Josh in the company. And that was maybe 15, 15, 20 years ago when that, when that actually occurred. So we were partners. Um, he was the chairman. I was the president until he passed away. And now, um, now um, his family, his estates being sorted out. Now I'm the, the sole owner of Leland. So I feel like I have a great responsibility on my hands now too. Um, I always, I did the, for the past 20 years, but that's sort of how things evolved. And um, I feel like, uh, you know, we're, we're not a huge company. We're not a huge company. I think we have 10 full-time employees and a bunch of part-time employees, but they're like family to me. Uh, these people are, you know, couple of them are just like me they're passionate about the stuff and um you know one of them jordan gilroy um who is our new card specialist modern card specialist uh he reminds me a lot of me he's a lot more handsome than me but, but <laughs> yeah so i don't want to insult him in that way but he reminds <laughs> me he's good and he's he's in his 20s but you know to me he's a kid and he's been doing a heck of a job you know when you see all those modern cards in our auction i'm not responsible for many of those at all he's responsible for the majority of them and he really uh gets on there with the social networking and things like that um which i'm again i'm not i'm not that much a part of i can i go out and i hobnob with the 70 and 80 year old collectors who i've known for 30 years but the new guys you know it's 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 tough for me to uh tough for me to adjust to that so, um, you know, uh, daily, I mean, we are just full mode right now acquisitions. I mean, acquisitions is the biggest thing. It, it, right now, it's easy to sell stuff. 
no matter how you're selling it. If you're taking it to a show, if you're putting it on eBay, if you're consigning it to an auction, um, that's the easy part of selling the stuff uh, as dealers or as auction houses. The hard part is to acquire it. So our phone at, at Leland's rings constantly. Um, that's the good part. The bad part is 95% of those calls, they're guys calling with their 82 Denver sets. Um, you <laughs> yeah. know, but that's part of it. So it, it's really, um, you know, we have we have three or four people answering the phones. I don't answer the phones too much anymore. Um, like I said, I usually just deal with the older collectors. A lot, of the, yeah. a lot of the people coming through, calling on the phone, you know, they're asking about Jordan cards and Brady cards and things like that. And I can't answer real intelligently about them because I don't know that much about them. But um, so the phone rings constantly. So the major thing is acquisitions. Um, I do a lot of traveling. I still do traveling. I don't like traveling anymore. I used to like it when I was younger, but I just went out to, uh, you know, I just got back from uh, from Chicago, um, was out there with some people who had uh, Chicago Blackhawks collections. Uh, I'm going to head to Wisconsin for to pick up a car deal. The guy has, you know, some some Babers, Ty Cobbs, you know, Gowdies, T206s. So it's a lot of, you know, you know, get the phone call and uh, I still still go out and travel. So a lot of my time is spent on acquisitions. Um, and then after acquisitions, there's, of course, you know, it, it's not just that. That's the fun part is the acquisitions. Then the stuff has to be photographed. We have a photographer. It has to be inventoried. It has to be written up. And then the catalog and everything has to be designed. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's a pretty laborious uh, process. I don't get so much into the I'll write notes as a specialist and then I'll let the copyrights take it from there because I'm not a great writer. But, um, you know, so to answer your question, most of our day is, is spent, you know, answering those phone calls, taking the trips, going out to look at stuff, um, that that kind of thing. And then after we acquire the stuff, then we have to process it. And processing is pretty, pretty much the toughest thing right now uh, because people want to sell their stuff. They don't want to sell it tomorrow. They want to sell it yesterday. Uh, people are very impatient when it comes to selling stuff these days because it, it's a hot market. So we had to ramp up our auction schedule. Um, you know, instead of doing two a year, we're now up to, I think, six a year, including our, our Internet auctions. And, uh, you know, that's a grind. It, it, it is a grind. I won't I won't sit here and tell you that that part is not tough because it is because you have to come up with, uh, you know, the catalog and, and the, all that other stuff I just talked about is expensive. So. To come in and do a, a three hundred or five hundred thousand dollar auction, uh, it's not worth it. You, you know, you're going to lose money. You have to do millions of dollars in order to 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 make up for those expenses. So to get millions of dollars worth of goods within a matter of two months, um, not easy, not easy. Yeah. Um, you know, so the acquisitions part is is the tough part. Then you know, like we have an auction coming up online. Uh, I think it begins next week. You know, that's the fun part. Then watching the bids come in, seeing yeah. seeing stuff sells but that's not hard that's not hard to do the acquisitions is the tough part getting the stuff now I, I was talking to tony um you know you talk about these collections that you've gotten they're worth you know hundreds of thousands of dollars millions of dollars you know to just be a fly on the wall and just see some of these transactions go down say between two individuals that are either millionaires or you know there's even billionaires that are popping up in this hobby nowadays um now you've actually you've been that fly on the wall and you've seen these things go down. You know, describe to us like what's one of the most memorable deals that you've been witness to or been a part of. Well, um, 
I mean, I'll tell you about something that a long time ago, that's one of my favorites that sticks in my mind. It didn't involve anybody who was a, uh, a, a, a billionaire or a millionaire. But, um, you know, when I was with Josh, when he was back in Allentown, we got a call one day um, that um, a guy had played in the minor leagues and had some jerseys. And it was actually pretty local. I think it was up in Scranton. So it was only an hour away. So this is like six o'clock at night. We jumped in the car. We went up there. Uh, we took some cash along from the office. And turns out this guy, um, somehow he had, you know, some Houston Astros jerseys. He was in the Astros minor league front. And somehow he got a hold of a Mickey Mantle jersey. Oh, wow. We bought that Mickey Mantle jersey. It was a record price at the time. We paid $25,000 for it. And, uh, you know, so can you can imagine, like, showing up at somebody's house and showing you. Yeah. A Mickey Mantle jersey, and then realizing, hey, this thing's real, and this yeah. thing Mickey Mantle is back. So this, and like I said, this is back early, early night, late '80s, maybe. It had to be late '80s because we were still in Allentown. But we bought that jersey. And I remember getting back in the car because Josh, like, we have to have, we have to buy this, and uh, we we really struggled with it for a while. We were like, um, you know, we had one guy we were going to sell it to for you know fifty thousand. He backed out. Because at the time that was like unheard of, and then we um, finally sold it to a gentleman um, for fifty thousand dollars. And uh, you know, the crazy part is like uh, the, the that jersey today is worth uh, two to three million. Oh wow! So, you know, that, that's that's like, and I remember I remember being at the time. I remember thinking about it. I remember saying. How the hell can I scrape up like like we probably take like thirty five or forty thousand? How can I possibly scrape up that amount of money? And there was just no way I could figure that out because I was like I could buy I would buy this, but you know what I would have done with it when it would have hit a hundred grand? I would have sold it, so yeah, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have it any longer. But um, <laughs> you know, it's just that that's one of the things um, that that uh, you know makes me just I I, I picked up. Uh, a Babe Ruth um, jersey. It's one of you know. There's like there's like five or six legitimate Babe Ruth jerseys out there. That's it. Uh, and like yeah, that's 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 it. And uh, you know the they're they're you know last one sold. Um, I don't know. Was it seven seven million somewhere in there? If 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 you have one today, it would be probably double that. Um, wow. It's over ten million now. Um, but I remember one of them really <laughs> really vividly. And um, it was one that was down south, and the people, again, uh, their, their grandfather played in the minor leagues, and it was one of those jerseys with the Yankees across the front, which they only wore th uh, oh, wow. three years, that style with Yankees on their uniforms, on the road uniforms. And, um, you know, I saw pictures of it. I knew it was legit. And this was like 91 night. This was one of my first major deals. I went, went down there and picked it up. And uh, it's funny because the people were telling me, that um they uh you know they didn't they didn't really know it was worth anything until they saw something on television about you know wow. another babe ruth jersey being sold and uh you know they showed me pictures of their son wearing this thing around you know halloween <laughs> eating candy, oh, wow. you know chocolate that, that was his halloween costume was the babe ruth jersey wow you know, it went down to like his ankles but that's what he went <laughs> trick-or-treating and stuff and so, you know, this kid was going around, you know, not too long ago, a couple decades ago, but he was going around trick-or-treating in what's now, you know, $15 million jersey. So um, it's just, um, you know, this stuff. Yeah, really, it's like not everyone, there, there are a lot of questions raised. People come and ask me all the time, why are you, 
why do you spend all this money? Because I'm, as you know, I'm a huge collector. And why do you spend this money on a piece of wood or a piece of cardboard or this? And I said, well, why? It's the same reason that people spend millions of dollars on a on a painting by someone. They're just buying the paint and the canvas. It's the art. It's the history. It's what went into this thing. You know, Babe Ruth bat. Yeah, it is just a piece of wood, but it was handled by you know the greatest baseball player of all time. It's like putting a putting a paintbrush in Picasso's hand. You know, the bat is Beirut's paintbrush. So yeah. it should be worth hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of dollars, depending on, you know, what he used it for. Yeah. I mean, you just recently, uh, the Andy Warhol painting of Marilyn Monroe just sold for $195 million. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. So, you mm -hmm. know, and it's just, you know, it's a painting of Marilyn Monroe. But like to somebody, that's, you know, that's their Babe Ruth uh, right. jersey. So, right. yeah. And, and like you say, you know, it's even the experts, too. You know, you just talked about, you know, you had this jersey, got it for 25000 sold it for fifty. But even the as experts at the time, you don't know it's going to be worth $1 million, $2 million, $3 million down the road. No, no. I mean, I have things. Um, I have no complaints in life. I'm very fortunate. But if I would have kept everything, even from my collection that I sold years ago, I mean, I would be... Uh, on the Forbes list, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, I, uh, I sold so much, you know, when something goes up um, and I, and I have to say, I'm, I'm a bit of a, you know, I use, I use that money when I sell something, I always take that money and then I buy something else that I really like. Gotcha. So I always recycle the money. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like I'm going out and buying a Corvette with the money. I go and buy another bat <laughs> or another sign ball or another card uh, with it. And, my collecting has financed my collecting. So right. I never really get it, let it dip into any of my savings. I just, you know, keep financing my collecting with my collecting. You're doing it the right way, brother. Yeah. Doing it the right way. I, hope so. <laughs> I, 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 I can attest to that from what I see. Now, obviously, you know, with everybody that you've dealt with, you, you've dealt with, you know, high-end collectors and i'm pretty sure you've signed confidentiality agreements so we're not going to get into any names or anything and i don't even know if anything like this has ever happened but have you ever had a transaction between two people or, or certain parties that's gotten you know ugly or even you know violent at one point uh, <laughs> i've seen them occur i've seen them occur i can't say i've ever been part of any um that have gotten violent but I've been at plenty of shows where fights have broken out. Um, uh, just, you know, like I said, jo Josh Evans, who was, you know, was like a brother to me. And uh, he, he was even more passionate about the stuff than I. And he was, he was like, uh, he was more passionate about the deals. And he, he, um, he had this like rule book, this code book that he lived by when you make a deal, you know, and, I, <laughs> but Josh would get overly excited about things. I'm more <laughs> low key. I try not to explode on things, but Josh had a short fuse too. So uh, I was at some shows sometime with Josh where uh, things almost got physical, <laughs> but, and, and authorities were actually called um, not just because people off the street, when they come to a show and, and this is more prevalent in the old days, but um, let's say they brought in a, a, a jersey of someone and we we look at it We say, what would you like to do with it? Would you like to auction it? Would you like to sell it? Okay. Um, I, I like to sell it for cash. Um, what were you looking for? How much would you like? I always ask, how much are you looking for? You know, uh, I think that's 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 reasonable if they're way out of, you know, way out of line on it. If it's worth 2000 and they want 10000 
But if they want 2000 it's worth 3000 then that's fine. Then everybody's happy. Um, sometimes people refuse to give a uh, price, but then we will, you know, I'll say, okay, well, what if I offer you 3000 for it? That's just the way I, I typically handle things. Um, so I remember one time somebody walked in with a, with a shirt. And this, ha this happened on numerous occasions. And, uh, you know, uh, walked in and uh, Josh and I were there at the show. And he uh, he said, what do you want for? And they said, uh, well, you know, we were offered 1500 over there by the that guy over there. Uh, we'll take 2000 Josh says, okay, here's your 2000 Takes the shirt. Oh, no, we don't want to sell for 2000 So that that's a no-no. <laughs> You know, and, uh, you know, Josh always makes sure he's holding the piece. So, no, you made the deal, you know, which ethically that is correct. If, if you right. agree to it, you shake hands and you made the deal just because you realize, hey, maybe you could have gotten another five hundred, three hundred dollars. That's not on it's not on the, the other guy. That's on you. Um, so I know I've, I've felt that before also where I've, I've sold something so on and they're, they're really quick to buy it. But that doesn't mean that they're going to make, uh, you know hundred grand on it. That just means that they're really happy to have it. And that was the case usually with Josh, you know, Hey, uh, this is great. We got it. Uh, you know, we're only going to make 200 bucks on it, but we got it. But he, you know, that's where a lot of deals go haywire when, uh, and, and that's why like uh, I read about and see more deals going haywire on the internet because all you have is an email and if the guy doesn't decide to sell it. Well, he's just going to keep it in tough luck to the buyer. Uh, there's not a whole lot you can do with that, even though an email, I guess, is a binding contract, you know, for, for to buy it. You know, what are you going to do? Go out there and hire a lawyer for ten thousand <laughs> to 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 re to get your thousand dollar piece. But uh, no, I, I've seen lots of heated arguments um, over stuff. And, uh, you know, luckily, um, you know, I haven't been I don't think I'm trying to think if that was in any physical altercations other than I think the only physical altercation I ever got into in the hobby was someone that, you know, confronting someone that uh, was, was stealing from our company, which that, you know, that's another yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, business is not always fun. I know we're trying to stay positive here, but you know, that kind of stuff happens. Uh, it's hard. We have, we have uh, at Leland's, you know, we have safes, we have cages. Um, and uh, luckily now, you know, for the past five to 10 years, I've had a staff that I really trust implicitly, but uh you know, sometimes people have problems. They get greedy. They they uh, they have problems we don't know about, and uh, that stuff happens. But when it happens to you, it's the worst feeling. I don't know if you guys ever had something like that happen to you, but it's the worst feeling in the world, um, especially when it's somebody that you hired or that you trust or that was your you know supposed friend. But um, other than that, I think we've kept it pretty clean. Nice. Yeah. Anytime there's money or, or collectibles involved, you know, you never know. You know things greed you know it just it can lead you down the wrong path so well but, that, um, that's, you know. that's the thing too that's uh collectors are so passionate that's the thing i mean i have friends and uh i hate making deals with friends because you know somebody always feels uh somebody always feels like they're getting the short end um you know when you make a deal with a friend uh you know i'll miss the piece and i'll tell them i'll say i really miss that piece i wish i never would have made that deal with you or uh you know they'll think they 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 over you know they they overpaid or they'll they'll then go and sell it and tell me that uh, hey you know that uh, Pete Roaster is the I I I sorry I, I I sold it I was like you bought it as a collector but it doesn't make a difference you know listen once you pay the money for it it's yours whether you bought it as a collector dealer or whatever and that's something some people don't understand too you know even though you're a collector and you bought it as a collector 
doesn't mean that you're not allowed to sell it. When you buy something, you own it and you're allowed to do what, you know, if you want to take it out back and wear it and hit some wiffle balls with it, then you do it. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it, that's, that's the cool thing about, you know, this, this, this hobby and business is very, um, very personal. You know, you get to, you get to know people. Right. Right. Well, all right. Let's get to the fun part. What do you collect and why? <laughs> uh, well, my fiance says I'm a hoarder, not a collector. She says the collecting went out the door. But um, like every crevice of my house is filled now with a collectible. It, it's the point where I have to either sell stuff or I have to move. Um, it, it's bad. It's really bad. Um, I love just about, I mean, my primary sport, my, my true love is wrestling. But wrestling stuff is not all it's not easy to get. There's not a whole lot of it around, but I really love baseball, collecting baseball stuff. Uh, and I really love the wrestling. I like music memorabilia too. And I'm more into the memorabilia than I am the cards. Um, like I told you guys, I, I had some like stuff, like um, I collected the, the wrestling all-star cards signed. I don't know if you guys, you guys are probably familiar with those, yep. but like here, I'll show you, like, here's my Andre the Giant. Uh, I don't know. Can you see it? I don't know how to get it on. There you go. Yep. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So the right Claire. now, showing. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. The wrestling All-Stars, Andre the Giant. Yeah, the wrestling Andre. All-Stars, yep. Andre the Giant. And, um, like, this is something I, I won't tell you how many I have, but I have a few of them, and there's only a few of them known. Mm -hmm. uh, authentic signed, you know, cards. I saw someone just, not that it's worth anywhere near this, but it's someone put one up on eBay for $300,000 and it's, it's not that nice. I think I have the highest graded example. I think I do have a one that's X grade. The cards graded X mint and then the signatures in eight. But um, you know, to me, this means like, I won't sell this. Like this is the kind of piece like someone could offer me. And even though I have a couple of them, I just won't sell it because I just, for some reason, I just love it. I love Andre giant. It's just, I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but there's just some passion I have for the wrestling stuff. The baseball stuff, on the other hand, like I sell pretty much everything. Um, I have some really cool pieces. I, I love Nellie Fox, um, the Hall of Famer. He was from Chambersburg, PA. I did a lot of business with their family. Their family sold off a bunch of their stuff. Um, I actually have Nellie's 1959. He was the American League MVP, and I have that that uh, MVP award that I got from the family. That means uh, a real lot to me. I never met Nellie. He passed away in 1975, but knew his whole family um, and, uh, and have that. Um, I have, I have a lot of bats. I collect bats from Hall, game use bats from Hall of Famers. Uh, have a lot of, um, a lot of bats, um, you know, mostly fifties on up. Uh, so if there's Hall of Famer from the fifties on up, um, if I don't have him, uh, and I see one somewhere, I'll buy it. Um, game used, and they have to be nice. They have to be really, really nice examples. Like, I don't want PSA also grades bats. I don't really want a PSA six of, of, of a bat. I try to collect, you know, eights to tens, mostly being most, mostly nines and tens. Uh, uniforms, same thing. Anybody from the 50s on up who's a Hall of Famer, I, I, I really like collecting the game used uniforms. Um, the wrestling, I, I, I really, I mean, that, that, that is my true love. Um, 
but it's so hard to get. I just picked up a Ric Flair robe. Um, that was on my, that was a top, top priority on my list. I didn't have a Ric Flair robe. And, uh, you know, I, I passed on several of them before, you know, 10 years ago, before I was really into the wrestling. I just started collecting the wrestling heavily about 10 years ago. I passed on a couple and then they went from being a, being available at $10,000 to $20,000, $25,000, you know, and now you can't even find one if you're willing to pay, you know, 50000 and up. So, um, you know, the, the wrestling is probably the thing that I love the most in my collection. It, it is the thing I love the most. Yeah, um, you um, talk, talk about that, you know, with the with the Ric Flair rule, because you actually you were featured, you know, on on TV where mm -hmm. there was a search for the Ric Flair butterfly robe. So yep. talk about that. Talk about that robe. What was so rare about it and how you felt being on that show? Oh, that was that was a lot of fun. And they're uh, they're renew. I just saw where they're renewing the series. Uh, I talked to some some people who are involved with it. And uh, I think it, it, it was great for collecting. I mean, the, the show was awesome. It, it made people aware of not only, you know, the values, but the thing the, the fact that this stuff, if you want to collect it, it's out there. It can be found. It's hard to find. But the show, the show, I mean, I kind of got a little ticked off about it because it made it harder for me to buy stuff. <laughs> you know, whenever something, whenever something is brought to people's attention, mm -hmm. then it brings in, like you said, those, those multimillionaires who, you know, have the money to spend. And, and now, now all of a sudden they're your competition. So, um, you know, it, it not only made my collection worth more, it, it made it harder for me to buy things from my collection. So I guess it's a double-edged sword when you look at it. Mm -hmm. But that show was a lot of fun. And uh, that Ric Flair rub that they were in search of, um, it was just one of his last rubs. I think it was one of his last WWE rubs. And uh, they, 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 they I, I'm not exactly sure why they wanted it. So, because there, there are a bunch of Ric Flair rubs out there. But uh, the one I just picked up was uh, a pink robe that he wore at the very end of his career. You know, I haven't matched. He wore it several times. Um, what people don't realize is these rubs, they were they're so intricate. Uh, they're not just like props that people that, you know, WWE threw together and NWA threw together. I mean, they had actual fashion designers uh, making these things and they cost thousands of thousands of dollars to, to just make. And uh, a guy like Fleary, Fleary, you have to admire him because he, you know, the, the majority of these things that wrestlers had to pay for. So if Ric Flair wanted to strut out there in an $8,000 robe, he had to take it out of his pocket and he had to buy it. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the really good wrestlers, you know, they not only made the really good money, they made decent money, but they also, um, you know, spent money on their appearance and, and, and their, uh, their whole gimmick. So, um, that that's just cool. I just love the robes. I love the robes. I have, uh, you know, guys like uh, Ric Flair, Rick Rude, uh, Greg Valentine. Um, just, you know, there's so many that I need and I'll never probably never acquire, mm -hmm. but they're the, you know, my collection is I have a Yokozuna, um, a pair of the rocks trunks, um, Wow. Ric Flair's trunks. The trunks are a little odd, you know. Like people look at me. Not that many people come over and look at my stuff, but sometimes they do. And I have these, you know, these trunks. <laughs> like, why are you collecting guys' underwear? These aren't these aren't underwear. You don't understand. These are trunks. They were worn in the ring by The Rock, so right. they're pretty macho. They're not really, yeah. you know. They're like, eh, you're a little weird collecting those trunks, but. <laughs> but I like on the trucks. Um yeah. and the same thing with the with the tights, you know, the 
a lot of mm -hmm. wrestlers didn't, didn't didn't really have didn't wear robes so the only thing you can really get from is uh you know tights or trunks so um you know that 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 is my passion and if anybody out there has any wrestling uh please give me a, <laughs> give me sure. a call because like I said, but that but i i feel guilty in that you know like with that under the giant card i collect those wrestling all-stars and I collect them signed and unsigned, but the guys that are still living, I then take them to shows and I have them signed. But I feel guilty, but I, I just love those cards. I can't explain it, but I love them signed. And, you know, there's guys that there's only three or four of them known that are signed and I have them. And I feel like what I'm, I'm a real pig for doing that. But it, I don't know, someday I'm sure I'll, I'll someday I'll get rid of them. But, you know, that day just has, has not come yet. No, yeah, yeah, I get it. I mean, that's like you said, that's your passion. It's the wrestling. So that just, you know, with the autograph, I get it. It brings you closer to the wrestler, you could say. And and I get it. So but I know, but why do I need more than one of them? Can you explain? Oh, uh, well, I mean, why why do we collect? We, you know, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> we need to have a little uh psychiatric session here. You have to start talking to me about this. Mike, yeah, why yeah. do you have more than one of them? Do you need more yeah. than one? They're almost identical. You know, and I can't explain that. Like, I can't explain it. I just think it's cool. Well, that's that's question five. And Oz is going to lay you down on the couch real quick and he's going to get to <laughs> that. Right. You know, we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> but um, just and just I want to revisit the, the, the wrestling one more time. You know, just talk about like what is, you know, you mentioned the trunks, boots. It just what is, you know, maybe one item that either you, you just like, wow, man, I can't believe I have this or something that you hear like. I got to get that. And, and this is, you know, I whatever it may be. I mean, it could be anywhere from, I don't know, Jimmy Hart's megaphone or, you know, something wild like that. I have that. I have several. I figured you I did. Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. I have a bunch of those. Um, Jimmy kept a lot of his stuff and he's actually a really, really nice guy. Um, so I got a bunch of stuff from Jimmy. Um, one thing that I would, I would love to have. Now I have a pair of Andre the Giants dress shoes that came from his daughter. But I would love to have. He wasn't really big on robes. I have one of. I have two of his dress suits. They're like humongous. Um, but I would love to have either a pair of his trunks or a pair of his boots. Um, I know the dress shoes that I have that he had. You know, everything of his had to be custom made. Uh, he was just too big. You couldn't even go into big, big and tall and buy his stuff. You know, he was seven two, seven three, and five hundred pounds. So. I would love a pair of his boots. Um, I think there's one pair out there, maybe one or two pairs or a pair of his trunks. I really don't know anyone that has any trunks. I'm not sure if WWE, I think WWE does have a pair, uh, but those would be on, my, on the top of my list. Uh, like I said before that, I did get one of my grails. I got that Ric Flair rub and that was just a couple weeks ago. Um, I was still like, you know, I would still buy multiple Ric Flair rubs, you know, from different eras. I have one from the end of his career. So getting something from, you know, his NWA days or, or, or AWA days, uh, I would certainly, I would certainly take multiples on that. Um, you know, I have one of Mick Foley's masks, which, you know, that's something that I just got within the last year. That was really, that was really important for me to get um, because I, I think that's like an iconic, I like those iconic pieces, you know, his leather mask that he wore as mankind. Um, that you, it doesn't get much better than that. I, I do, I am in search and I need to, uh, I really need to find something from Stone Cold Steve Austin, like one of his vests or something. There is absolutely nothing out there. Um, wow. 
So that's another one. You know, one of his ring-worn vests uh, from Stone Cold. I don't think I have, you know, I have autographs of all these guys, but I don't have, you know, some of them. Stone Cold would be, be really high on my list. Nice. Now, do you uh, put on the robe and cut the promo? Do you put the Rolex on? <laughs> do you put the gators on? I mean, how, how far how far does it go with the robe? <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not going to answer that because it's <laughs> self-incriminating. So I'm, I'm going to keep that one to myself. Fair, uh, enough. Fair enough. I did. Uh, I was asked to put the – I have not put the flare robe on. I have worn other robes Um the flare robe has feathers and a lot of sequins and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I almost thought like it came in, it got shipped to work. So I opened it up at Leland's and everybody goes, Whoa, you got to put that on. And I knew they were going to take pictures and it's <laughs> pink, you know, it's Ric Flair, but it's still pink and I'm not Ric Flair and I, I ain't going to wear it like Ric Flair. So I figured this is just, this is a no win for me. So I use the excuse that it would like be like sacrilege to put it on. Like this is like a historical artifact here. So I can't put it on. You can't take a picture. And I didn't put it on yet. I didn't put it on yet. My, my fiance asked me to put it on tell and I did not. So that's just one I don't think I can pull off. I don't think I can pull off too many of them, but, but I have, you know, I've had, have tried a few on. In fact, one, one time, and um, one time I did put, I, I think I did put uh, um, a pair of uh, tights on at one point. <laughs> I forget who they were, but I did put a pair of tights on. That's um, great. That's, that's the best that's part is going. I got or at you. least that I'll admit. Gotcha. Now, last one for me, then I'll kick it out of way. But um, do you still have that 98 Michael Jordan photo match jersey? I don't. I don't. I actually sold it. I put it in. Uh, we we did we did a big auction of uh, pieces that were were really high end, and I felt a little a little bit of pressure because we did it in in conjunction with a, a firm called Collectible. They do fractionalization of memorabilia. I don't know if you guys are are yep. familiar with them or not. Uh, yep. Really good guys. Ezra Levine is who's the the president of the company. Uh, good friend. We did an auction with them, and it was harder than I thought to get to twenty five pieces. To twenty five pieces that are worth, you know, I think our debt, our cutoff was like two hundred fifty thousand a piece. And uh, me being uh, kind of dopey when it comes to this stuff, I thought I got to put a couple pieces in here to fill in the auction because you know we promised we get the twenty five pieces that were two hundred fifty thousand each. I took the jersey and I put it in there, figuring, well, you know what. I can get another one, you know, I'll put it in there, I'll hold the money and then I'll just buy another one. It sometimes, you know, you put stuff in auction because you want the auction to look good. So it sold, it sold for a lot of money. It sold for, I think with the, with the buyer's premium, it was like 340, 350,000. Wow. And then, um, which, which was great. I mean, I made money on it and I did take that money and actually buy some other stuff with it. Actually, that's part of the money that went to the flare rub. So <laughs> yeah, I can't really be too disappointed about the jersey. But, um, you know, and then like two months later when I'm like, uh, I'll just buy another one. Another one sells in, in, in somebody else's auction. It was different. It was a rad one, more desirable and stuff. But it sold for like 600000 I was so mm. bummed. I was wow. like, you know what? I'm never getting one again. Mm. But then, um, then actually uh, there was one sold in auction similar to the one I own. Uh, that went for the same price just over this past weekend. Went for the same price of a white Jordan '98 photo match. So, so there's but, hope. Uh, with that money, I I started. I know you guys are are 
you know, a lot of your audience and stuff is into the modern stuff. And I've really been trying to, I, I don't, I, again, it, go, it goes back to the whole thing. It, I, I feel like I get so much, I retain so much more knowledge when I'm actually buying something for my collection and when I, when I mm -hmm. care about it. So I've been trying to learn about modern basketball. I did pick up a LeBron jersey, uh, Cavaliers mm -hmm. jersey from 2016. That's part of what I use that money for, photo match. Which is cool. I think uh, you know. I think his stuff. I picked up a Steph Curry jersey from last nice. season. Um, you know, photo matched uh, to two or three games. Um, so you know, I wasn't. I didn't. I didn't have any of that stuff before. But mm -hmm. now I'm like, uh, well, I got LeBron. I got Steph, but I don't have the man. I don't have Jordan anymore. And right. uh, it's kind of bum. I do have a bat. I, the only thing I have used by Jordan anymore is uh, I have a bat that he used in '94. Oh, when, really? he was, uh, when he was playing uh, in the Meyer Leagues, that's like a PSA nice, pretty nice piece. In fact, wow. it came from uh, it came from uh, Spike Lee was a collector and also okay. good friends with Jordan. And it came from Spike sold a bunch of stuff. And that was one of the pieces that he sold. So kind of the lineage, the, the, the lineage on that is great. Yeah. You know, Jordan yeah. gave it to Spike and then Spike came from Spike to me. So pretty cool. that's a hell of a story right there. Yeah. Um, cool. Now, Mike. Now that we're on that topic, where do you think the value lies in in the future? You know, because a lot of people were doing sports cars, Tony and I, and you're into the memorabilia more so. So let's say 5, 10, 15 years from now or even later, like wh where do you think the, the value is going to lie? Is it going to, you know, there's always going to be value in, in, in most of this stuff. But where do you see it more so in memorabilia or sports cards? Um. I've been saying it for 50, you know, I've been saying it for 40, 40 years, you know, this memorabilia has got to catch up with the cards someday. It's rarer than the cards, but that's just me as a fan of the memorabilia. Um, if you look historically, like the cards have always stayed in front of the memorabilia. Um, although, you know, the memorabilia does hold a lot of the records, you know, there, there have been Hummus Wagner cards out there. You know, the, the thing is, without revealing too much. And, and I usually don't talk about this stuff, but there have been, you know, the, the record now um, in, in sports memorabilia for an auction piece is that soccer jersey. And I don't even understand soccer. I do have a Pele jersey that uh, mm -hmm. soccer jersey sold a couple of weeks ago for $9 million. Jeez, but that's, yeah. The, yeah, that's actually not the record. I mean, I know of pieces in the sports memorabilia world that have sold for more than $9 million. They're just not publicized. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's, there's things out there that have sold for more. Like I was just talking about Babe Ruth and, 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 you know, there are Honus Wagner cards out there and other cards, you know, the people would say like, wow, this is, this is nuts. Um, <laughs> so the market is more than just what, you know, I guess you guys know also there's, there's, there's transactions being done every day that nobody really knows about. Um, yeah. And someday maybe they will and someday maybe they won't, but um I, I think that cards, even though I'm not a huge card guy, um, I have collected them. You know, that's where I started. And uh, they are the backbone of our hobby, no matter what. Um, I think memorabilia is is catching up. Um, I don't know, other than like a Baltimore, you know, the 1914 Baltimore News Babe Ruth card, which is the best Babe Ruth card worth millions mm -hmm. of dollars in any condition. Other than that card, I don't know if there are any Babe Ruth cards that would outpace a Babe Ruth jersey if one came on the market. You know, I think uh, you know if you had a, someone came up with a thirty-three Gowdy or 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 nineteen fifteen Ruth rookie in a ten, I I don't know. I guess that would out 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 
outpace any Bay Ridge jersey. But, um, you know, the cards in general, they're just easier to understand for people. You know, they're numbered. Um, there's there's a price guide. You know, they're kept. everything is kept track of. There's a registry. There's a pop report. It's just um, it falls in, you know, before we talk about that, the graphs and stuff, you know, it's just easier, <laughs> I guess, for some people to look at those graphs with memorabilia. You don't really have that. You do have that, though. Like so PSA just released a pop report on bats and, and bats that are graded. So that makes it easier for the people to understand. Jerseys are now being graded. You know, Mears does grading one to or five to ten scale on jerseys. Um, so I think it's it's making collectors feel more um, comfortable with what they're buying and, 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 and the fact that they can see that, Hey, this truly is something that's rare. You know, it's, it's one of 10, it's not one of, uh, you know, 600 that are out there. So the other thing is, you know, people, uh, as time goes, people get more comfortable with authenticity because there's more information out there. People can educate themselves. You know, back in the early 90s, it was the Wild West. You know, there were no authentication companies. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, you know, very, you know, PSA was the only card grading company. Well, there were a couple fly-by-night card grading companies back then. But, you know, as the grading companies, as the authentication companies evolved, you know, that there's a direct correlation with the prices going up. Um, not only because of the pop reports and people trying to outdo other people with the set registry, but also because there's more of a, more of a, a, a comfort level in purchasing the memorabilia. So, you know, I mean, it's grading companies to me, authentication companies are, uh, even though some people don't like them or feel like they're a necessary evil, uh, they really have in general. I mean, there, there are certainly instances where, where it can be argued, but in general, they really built and, and helped to build and strengthen our hobby. Interesting. And that's um real quick, guys. And that, mm-hmm. that's what it is for me with, with the memorabilia. I, always, I have like a hard time grasping it. Cards, I know that whatever, 55 Clemente's is rookie card. And so that's something for me. I know personally is like, all right, I want something, but how do I don't know where to start? How, where do I, how does someone who has no idea about any of this stuff and wants it, how do they, educate themselves on it yeah you just sort of have to get the feel for it you got to start start with something that you want you know whether it's a jersey from the 90s or 2000s or you know and just just buy it look at it read read up see what other stuff is selling for just start small and work your way up um you know it's pretty there's enough information out there on it now that it you know a lot of stuff that's coming out. If you're collecting newer game use stuff, there's so much photography and, and stuff. Any of those big jerseys, like in the past 10 years, there's so many pictures and stuff being taken and they're all digital. So they're all online. So if you're buying something for the past 10 years, you're spending thousands of dollars on it. Like I think you should definitely have a photo matched, um, you know, which basically you, you can't get better authenticity than a picture of the player wearing it. Uh, and a lot of people aren't comfortable. They won't buy things unless they're photo matched. We could be talking about Jackie Robinson uniform. And if, if it's, if it's, even though it's legit, uh, if it's not photo matched, they won't buy it. And, and I get that. Um, but if you're, if you're scared about authenticity, when it comes to uniforms, just make sure that everything you buy is photo matched. Um, and then, you know, you'll get a comfort from, from feeling and seeing and, you know, inspecting that stuff that's photo matched. And then you might get to a point where, 
you can buy stuff, you know, vintage stuff that's not photo match because some of the vintage stuff, when you get back to, you know, the 1980s, 70s and stuff, there weren't, you know, the photographs weren't digitized back then. And, uh, you know, there's not that much photography around from that period. So not everything can be photo matched. So it's just, you just have to get comfortable with it. You just have to start slow and, you know, enjoy what you're collecting and then study it. You know, to me, half of it is like, half the fun is I just sit and if I buy in New Jersey, I'll just sit there, you know, at night I'll have the television on and it's, it's strange, but it's like therapeutic for me. I'll turn the thing inside out. I'll look at the stitching. I'll take up magnifying glass and look at the stitching you know not because i'm doubting i just want to know i just want to like yep. look look how that thread is frayed there that's right. how it should be and this might sound like totally off the wall to certain people i'm sure to 98 <laughs> you know take out those out trunks of the rock and smell yeah, a little yeah, bit like, <laughs> nobody's cooking you know <laughs> yeah but i just like studying the stuff you know there's a forensic like type element that's involved with this and the autographs, the same thing. Uh, like the autographs, I, I love autographs. And, uh, you know, like uh, autographs, like how you, you authenticate them, right? You do um, that. I don't do it professionally, but we do. Um, we, we, we have a very good working relationship with JSA okay. uh, mm -hmm. or with PSA. And uh, we're also friends with JSA. And I have much respect for them. And, um, you know, I think they've done wonders for the autograph market. You know, they've helped a lot, but um, we were always, and we have PSA come in every auction, take a look at stuff because it's kind of, uh, if we don't do that, it's a little bit of a disservice maybe to some of the consigners because something with a PSA letter or grade will bring more money. So some of the stuff you almost have to have PSA take a look at and put a grade, you know, they grade signatures now, but we also feel confident enough and we have over the years to authenticate our own material. So We've sold stuff for many years without PSA letters, JSA letters, or anything else. We simply offer a money-back guarantee. If you send it to PSA or JSA and they say it's no good, send it back. We'll give you your money back. And believe it or not, we are human. We made mistakes, but the mistakes are pretty minimal, which that's one thing that makes me feel good. Um, you know, we, we honor everything that we sell. Um, everything, I mean, to me, that is the most, above all else the most important thing in this hobby for a business or an auction house anyone selling memorabilia is your reputation and you have to have a reputation for selling real stuff it's okay you know some people have reputations for overcharging some people have reputations for you know um uh, you know other things that aren't you know necessarily but but you know overcharging i don't know is it an ethics problem yeah, but it's not a criminal problem. Selling bad stuff is a criminal problem. So there's a big difference because someone that's overcharging, all right, you got a Babe Ruth ball, it's worth 80,000. You sell it to someone for 100. All right, the odds are, you know, in a couple of years, it's going to be worth 120 anyhow. But you sell someone a Babe Ruth ball that's bad, it's worth zero now and it's worth zero in 10 years. So, you know, that's criminal. That's bad. And that's where. Sometimes our hobby has gotten a bad reputation, especially in that field, in the autograph field, because people, you know, have sold bad stuff and have not taken it back. Anyone that tells you they haven't sold anything bad um, is full of crap. Now, <laughs> I can tell you, we have sold stuff that's bad, but never, ever knowingly. And everything we've ever found, you know, you know, that we made a mistake on that was sold, that was a bad autograph, 
we, to the best of my knowledge, we've taken it back and issued a complete refund. And, and that's the only way to really do it uh, because otherwise you, you lose your reputation. So, um, yeah. You know, I, I love autographs myself. I think it's a challenge and people say, uh, and, and I'm sure there's probably a couple, I mean, I have thousands of autographs in my collection, not all worth, you know, some are worth five bucks. They're just autographs mm -hmm. that I collected that I like, but I'm sure, you know, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a percent or two that probably aren't, aren't good, but that's <laughs> just a, a fact of life. I mean, it, can you yeah. guys say in your collections that you don't have it, never bought or don't have a trimmed card? Well, You'd like to yeah. think that probably, yeah. but the odds are probably dead, you know, right. and, Which, there, and there's you no, know, there's, there's no problem with that. Like that's just, it, it it's not, but it, it, it's kind of sad too. At the same point, you know, you have these, you know, many works of art or these pieces of history, this memorabilia, and then you just have these people out there that they let greed take yeah. over them and they'll yeah. do whatever they can to make a buck. And, yeah. you know, they try to pull one over and on you and, you know, it even gets past the grading companies. Like you said, these trim cars, they get graded or, or the autos, they get, you know, authenticated. And, you know, sometimes they're not real. And it, it's yeah. it's frustrating. Uh, now, now, piggybacking off of that, like how have you seen, like you said, in, in you know, the, the 80s and the 90s, it was the Wild West. And, you know, now we have all these authenticators and grading companies. Has it remained the same as far as people trying to get over scammers or has it gotten better over the years? I think the authentication companies have really helped. Uh, you know, there's been a, a, a there's been a, um, a strong presence of law enforcement in the hobby too, which I think is really good. Um, it, it keeps people, you know, it, it prevents people from coming in. You know, if they do a little research and they say, "Oh man, the the federal government is actually looking at uh, you know fake Babe Ruth autographs," I, I don't think I'm going to do that. That that's a good thing. You know, that's something we didn't have back in the 80s and 90s. So, you know, but the the authentication companies have also helped a lot. There's still stuff that gets by them. There always will be. There always will be. When there's this amount of money involved, there's always going to be somebody who finds a way to do it. So that's just a fact of life. Like, we're never going to stop people from faking autographs. We're never going to stop people from trimming cards. That's just, that's it you if you can't accept those facts like in this hobby and and still enjoy the hobby knowing that then the hobby's probably not for you we can get it as clean as we possibly can we can police other collectors and help them out and uh you know if anything shady's going on report it to the authorities uh, we can do all that but we're just never ever going to stop at all so that's just an element that's like in any business but um you know, the only down, the only little pitfall of the authentication is most of it, you know, when a car, when a trim car gets into a slab, uh, it's probably going to stay in that slab forever. You know, yeah. no one's cracking it out. And um, although I have known authentication companies um, to to actually take cards back, which is a good thing. Um, they're certainly not obligated to do so because they're just offering an opinion and their opinion was wrong. But um, I've known them to take autographs back also that they made mistakes on. So, you know, this hobby, people, it's just people have to get, uh, again, back to the positivity thing. Uh, people just have to look at this stuff and realize that this is, first of all, we're not dealing with people's necessarily their lives here. You know, we're not doctors doing surgery and, and yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're dealing with something that we like doing. It's not a life 
altering um, thing that we're doing. Um, and we, we should have fun doing it. So, you know, there's too many, I look at some of these forums and stuff and um, that's where it turns my stuff because instead of emphasizing like all the positives, all these guys ever want to do is like gang out and tell everyone how disgusting this hobby is. When in right. fact, you know, 1% of the people involved, less than 1% of the people involved are the disgusting people and 99 point something percent of the people are good people who are just out there to have fun. So that's a great point. We, we, Oz and I, we talk about that often. Like people just dwell on that negative. I'm like, there's so much fun to this, to, to this hobby and collecting yeah. and all that stuff. Just leave all that garbage alone. Yep. So, but, um, Mike coming down the home stretch here. So, um, if you were to take a 17 year old kid under your wing today and become his mentor, what would be the most important piece of advice you would give him? I think just what, just what we talked about, like, um, just know that like your reputation is everything and just strive towards trying to build that best reputation that you can. It's not always the most knowledgeable person that gets the, you know, the most business, but it's the, it's the guy who, who's a straight shooter. So, um, you know, and, and you have to love the stuff. If uh, I, I find it practically impossible to be, Although guys do it, they make a good living at it and they don't appreciate the stuff. But if you're going to make a living in this or even be a collector, you have to love the stuff. Don't just look at it as dollar bills or hundred dollar bills. You have to look at it for what it is, pieces of history and beautiful little, you know, pieces of cardboard that are, that are works of art and things that have survived for 70 years and near perfect condition. Like look at that piece and like try to figure out like, wow, this is like a one of 10. This is something that is truly special. So I think, and, and educate yourself. You just have to have to learn as, as much as you possibly can. And the only way to learn this stuff is hanging around people who actually know it, who have lived it. And, and that I, I'm one of the few, I'm one of the, not few, but I'm one of the really fortunate ones who got to, um, you know, get firsthand knowledge from, from my business partner, good friend, Josh Evans. And, um, uh, it's amazing with some of those old timers, you know, what's a, and, and I guess I'm an old timer now, but, um, you can tell by the gray hair and the, the <laughs> um, you know, it's amazing the knowledge that's still out there, you know, from the old days. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys ever heard of, uh, you know, back in the eighties, nineties, uh, you know, guys like Bill Mastro, uh, who actually got in some cool. trouble, but yeah. uh, but incredible knowledge. Uh, uh, REA used to be owned by Rob Lifson. Um, incredible amount of knowledge, you know, hung around those guys. You just listen to them, go out to dinner or something with them and the, and the stuff that they, um, you know, that, that, that they experienced too. It's just, it's, it's amazing. Like, uh, you know, in the infancy of the hobby, you know, so much stuff was unknown and these guys like discovered it. So now we, you know, now, unfortunately, you know, a lot of the discoveries aren't, aren't, you know, they've already been discovered. The gold's already been mined, but uh, you know, there's still, there's still great things happening every day. I mean, this is, this, this is, uh, there's still great finds out there. There's still great, um, you know, the, this thing with the brakes I really like, you know, the new thing with the, uh, the, the open, I guess not new thing, but the thing with the opening of packs, I think it's, it's exciting. Yes, it's, it's, it's gambling, but yeah. it's yeah. exciting and, and, it, and it brings kids into the hobby. 
Um, you know, and that's another thing I think we need to get more kids involved in, in the, in the hobby, which I was really pleased. Um, you guys, are you guys going to the national in, uh, New Jersey this year? Yeah. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. You know, that was one thing I was pleased to see last year. Like there was, there was really, there were a lot of kids at the national last year. And, uh, that may be one great thing about what the internet has really brought to it. It, it has allowed kids to, to see what's out there. Although they can't hold it in their hands, they can say, Hey dad, I want to go look the, the national national conventions in Atlantic city this year. It's only two hours away. Let's go. So um, I did notice that, but it, it's just so important that we get, that we get the younger generations involved, but yeah, back to your question. I think that the, the main thing is just, you know, from the start, you know, just keep, keep have a good reputation excellent so lastly mike um if someone does have a valuable collection that they found in an an attic or they you know they got it from their grandfather they don't know what they got you know to do with it you know how uh what steps would you recommend them taking if they came to you or you know if you just wanted to give your advice to them what would they have to do to liquidate this collection um, well, contact, and, and I'm not going to sit on here like an infomercial because uh, <laughs> you know, I, I would get, uh, I would, I would go online, take a look, see if anything like that has been sold, and uh, if it has, and and it's of decent value, and you find some place that's sold it, or another, or an auction company that sold something similar, um, give them a call. And uh, you know, some a lot of it, you know, we were joke. I was joking a little bit about it before how many calls we get every day, but you know. It's cool. Like it's cool getting these calls because they're they're like needles in haystacks, and mm-hmm. uh, we don't mind if you if you call us at Leland's uh, if you have something, even though you're pretty sure it's not something of real value. We don't mind like talking to you about it. That's that's what we're there for. And if it's worth five bucks, we'll tell you it's worth five bucks. Just don't get angry with us when we do. We'll tell you it's worth five <laughs> yeah. bucks because we get a lot of calls where people are like, "Oh, this is I see this on the internet." You know this. This Mickey Mantle card is sold for, you know, uh, uh, 1.5 million. Yes, but that was the rookie card, and it was a nine. <laughs> and yours is uh, is last year, and it's in poor condition, and it's only worth 300. And people don't understand that, but we try to explain it to them as easily as possible. But uh, you know, that's like people get their hopes up. So don't if you have something, don't get your hopes up right away. You know, just. Uh, just seek out a professional, someone who's going to give me an honest opinion and then go from there. Fair enough. So, uh, Mike, just again, thank you so much for your time. Before we get out of here, let everybody know where, you know, where they can find Leland stuff, your auctions, all that good stuff. Just, you know, because I'm sure that there's people listening that are going to now you have them intrigued. They want some bats. They want some robes. So you know, give, give a little rundown some of trunks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> give a little rundown of how, how to uh, go about it. Sure. You can just go to uh, Leland's.com. You'll see um, up there, you'll see uh, uh, our past auctions still up there. We'll have a new one going up, I think, next week. Uh, that'll be up online. You know, of course, we have another Tom Brady uh, rookie card in there. Uh, we have one, seems like every auction now, but uh, we have one in there. And uh, there's a lot of modern and there's a lot of older stuff in there. And there's, there's cards, there's memorabilia. Um, even if you don't bid, it's a good learning tool. Go on there, see what the stuff uh, looks like, see what, uh, you know, after the auction, see what it sells for. And, um, you know, that's the easiest way. Our, our phone number, in fact, I don't even know our phone number anymore. But uh, <laughs> I would just say Leland's.com. The phone number's up there, and we welcome any phone calls, any emails. If you even just, like I said, if you even just have a question about something, just feel free 
give us a call. We'd be more than happy to try to help you. Well, Mike, if you ever feel, uh, you know, like you, you, you get tired of one of those Andres, those autographs, if you're, <laughs> if you're feeling nice, you know, check out the cousins, you know, we obviously can't afford 300,000, but if you're willing to cut us a deal, we're good to go. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if you guys find me a pair of Andre, the giant ring worn boots, the card okay. is yours. I'm on it. Sounds good. Okay. Sounds good. And, and let us know when that uh, Hefner uh, yard sale is going to be when the fiance <laughs> finally says, all right, you got to get you know, rid of some of this stuff. So let us know. Yeah. I won't be made aware of that. You'll have to talk to her. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I love, I'd love to come over and visit with you guys sometime, you know, definitely not that, not that far well, away. So yeah, you're in the neighborhood. We're literally right there. So that'd Absolutely. be awesome. Absolutely. Sorry. I couldn't make it over with you guys today, but uh, hopefully no we'll accomplish the same. So definitely. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Mike. And, um, you know, we just look forward to seeing where, where this thing goes from here. So thank you. All right, guys. Be well. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. To all the listeners out there, let me tell you something, man. It doesn't get any better than that. For a man with Mr. Mike Hefner's stature to give the cousins over an hour of his valuable time, truly speaks to his greatness, and it's no wonder why he's been blessed with so much success in this hobby. Many people in the hobby today think it's all about pomp and circumstance. Getting on social media, walking around, strutting their stuff, you know, peacocking as if their ish don't stink. Remember this, the hobby giveth and the hobby taketh away. Have fun, enjoy yourself, but stay humble, my friend. Ain't none of y'all Ric Flair. Now, thanks again to my man, Mr. Mike Hefner, the hobbies champ, true man of the people. It was an honor, my friend. If you like what you're hearing, please spread the Cousins Gospel. Make sure you follow us at Cousins underscore Collectibles and make sure you hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And as always, keep focused, keep positive, and keep collecting. Hey, yo, Tone, bring the beat back. Thank you.